This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. Hi, I'm Jim. Hello, I'm Marissa. Hey, I'm Evan. We're going to talk about Herbert West Reanimator, or uh, as it was originally titled, Gruesome Tales. <laughs> <laughs> was it? <laughs> well, it's it's kind of hard tale? to know. Uh, I, I I wanted to look inside the original issue of issues of Homebrew magazine, but uh, there's no extant pictures of those. The, the, the magazine's so so hard to get that there's mm-hmm. hasn't even been a photograph of the interior of any of those issues i do have i do have some scans of some later issues with the lurking fear and it's got some great art by clark ashton smith which mm-hmm. is so weird that he's illustrating lovecraft stories yeah um but did you guys i i sent you the um uh version from weird tales which is in the 40s and yeah did you note who the artist was on at least some of those? No, I didn't. Damon Knight. Huh. <laughs> oh, wow. Damon Knight. Wow. Gosh, he used to do illustrations, yeah? I did not know that. Yeah. And then we've wow. got a different guy for, uh, I guess, the last couple. But this actually took, uh, when I was trying to assemble it, I've been trying to assemble it for years um, because I, I get weird issues, oh, weird issues, weird tales in fairly regularly but you know there's hundreds and hundreds of issues so um it ran from like 1924 23 until 53 and 12 issues a year sometimes uh usually actually so it took a long time for me to get the majority of this and there's still one issue that's not in perfect condition but um when i went to put it together this week um i noted that that it starts in february or so of 44 what is it march march of 42 and i think it finishes uh the next year but separated massively apart so even even at the point where it's reprinted 20 years later after its original publication in homebrew it's still still being serialized um so I, I don't think that was wholly intentional. It was during the war. Um, they There's a note saying that they were going to serialize it when space was available um, in the magazine. So it, and most people who read this story in either magazine publication would have read it as a serial. Um, we were putting it out as a one big <laughs> file. It does have a lot of internal... Um, S- summaries, story summaries. Repeti- yeah, rep- repetition. Uh, I'm, in in uh, Jim's uh, episode where he talks about when he goes to read, he talks about that a little bit about how how there's a lot lots of that recapping and calling back so that readers remember what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in a stealth way to previously on Reanimator. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that's the way you put. Yeah. So. Uh, I've read I've read this at least three or four times, including there's a version read by um, uh, the guy who plays him in the 1985 movie, uh, Coon William Coon is that his name? Ah. Jeffrey Coombs. Jeffrey Combs. Jeffrey. Yeah, Coombs. William Coon's somebody else. 
Um, Wei Yun. <laughs> he's uh he's pretty good at uh at it, but the the strange thing is is uh he's also not the narrator of the story, so he's the actor playing Herbert West. So yeah, that's a little weird. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit weird, but it really fits with Mr. Jim's crazy uh, tinfoil hat theory, which I would <laughs> like him to uh, reiterate. I, I didn't realize that was two years ago that you that you put that out on your your uh, lost yes, transmission yeah. feed. Um, so would you uh, spoil it all for us right now? Well, when I did the uh, uh, the reading, um, firstly I kind of noticed very much kind of we have a very curious narrator in the fact that when I first read it, I kind of assumed the narrator is kind of like the unwilling hero. Mm-hmm. And when I actually did the narration, I thought, actually, he's not the hero. He hates everybody. <laughs> he's thoroughly objectionable. And the, the more I read it, and I, I realized I was doing the research as well for behind the writing of it, it this was written around the same time as Hypnos, mm-hmm. the other Lovecraft story. And the very the, the very end where there's no trace of Herbert West found, I was like, oh, hang on, was there ever really a Herbert West? Oh, because when, when actually when you narrate a story, you obviously you get a different perspective. You're paying attention to every word, and I began to realize kind of actually this isn't kind of like the movie uh, reanimator where you know our hero is given a name, he's Dan, and he's kind of unwillingly. So the semi-grinning goes along with West because he admires him, but he's horrified by him. Whereas the narration of the Lovecraft story, really pretty from the off, is he's probably is just as bad. And he's like, you know, he's almost sociopathic in his regard for other people. Other people are just objects or things to be sneered at. Right from the right from the get-go. There's no dissent and corruption by West. He's completely up for for anything. And you might go, oh, this is our hallowed experiments, our blasphemous toil, and all of this. And the you know, the charnel horror of our labs, but it's kind of like the narrators in the um, sorry the lead characters in another Lovecraft story again around the same time the Hound mm-hmm. where they're going mm. are we terrible we've just got to grave <laughs> isn't it great? I mean it's awful awful really that and I got that so, same sense yeah that yeah. makes so much sense with the fact that he never seems to age as well like if he's just kind of a figment of his imagination. Of his other half or something, mm-hmm. and hypnosis. Well, like on... And the burden character, he just he always he always appears at certain points and then disappears and reappears, and oh, there's very so actually very little interaction between West and the rest of the world really that we could probably nail down <laughs> definitely, other than our narrators you know say so. And by the end, it does sound rather suspect. And the fact he's in an asylum suggests actually they didn't just find no body of Herbert West. Didn't find any trace that Herbert West ever existed. Wow, that's cool. I like I that like theory. This theory, yeah. Yeah, and it makes it makes things fit. That I was sort of questioning, like, why is the narrator going along with this, and why isn't Herbert West ever aging? And and along with so your cool. your your explanation in in that. Uh, episode mr jim and you also pointed out that it he doesn't make it this fully explicit in this story um and your your theory was that it it's because he he liked the idea so much he said i'm gonna save it for a good story um pretty much he had a low opinion of reanimates even when he was writing it oh this is such junk i hate doing It's not junk, but it, it, I can I can see why all of the things you know the ser- 
even though he didn't like the serialization, he did serialize one more, right, uh, with Homebrew. Um, uh, look, right. Um, and I don't think he was he was up he wasn't much up for serialization when he he wrote for um, Weird Tales uh, wrote to Weird Tales after this, right? Um, he said you can either take my stories as they are, or you can reject them. Those those are your only options. Right. <laughs> he basically wanted to have, you know, say over what gets done. And, and I believe the changes in um, The Shadow Out of Time uh, in a, was it Astounding? Yeah. Um, or may, maybe it was Amazing. Um, changes there and in the Mountains of Madness um, or at the Mountains of Madness. Uh, he was upset with those sorts of editorial, you know, we're going to cut this out. We're going to move this around. We're going to add a little scene here. So he was very much um, against this sort of cheap storytelling, I guess. But all that being said, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and doesn't um, I think I read somewhere that Yoshi wrote somewhere that even though he always said this was like cheap storytelling and he just did this for the money, that he kind of was delighting in it at the same time and maybe secretly totally enjoyed writing it and maybe didn't hate the story so much. I I think that that must yeah. be true. Yeah, <laughs> it is fun. <laughs> I mean, yes. I mean, s- 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 the desire for scientific progress and and study going leering over into inexplicable madness as he just because he's he's obsessed with getting this formula right and starts doing worse and worse things in order to get subjects and to get it to actually work. It's 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 an interesting it's an interesting study of of uh, progress gone completely off the rails. I mean, there's no other supernatural element to it. Everything that Herbert West does, I mean, everything that happens supernaturally is Herbert West's own doing. He's, he, he's the, he creates it all himself. There's no external aliens or anything else. It's like all, it's all his fault in the end. Mm-hmm. He, he, he brings everything down on himself because of his obsession. And there's a really nice progression as well. Like you, you can totally feel how he starts off with the simpler things, the animals, and just checking, testing this thing on this body, and then just how it gets worse and worse. And as he, you know, makes larger transgressions, then he's like, well, then the next thing we try could be, you know, I'll just end up killing someone <laughs> to see if that works. I, Going further I like the- afield and like. Wizards, let's get this lizard from New Zealand. That will work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, what was it? The indescribable tropical reptile. Like, I love that even the reptile is indescribable in this one. <laughs> I, so, in, uh, but I, I like this, like, that the progression is very sci- is, is scientific, right? It's not, mm-hmm. there's not like moral. Like, in Frankenstein, there's a reason he's trying to conquer death, right? So- like his mom died or something. I, I forget the details, That's right. right? His mom died. There, there's some motivation for this conquest of death. And, you mm. know, that, that, that's the trope that gets reused in this. It even shows up like in one of those horrible Star Wars prequels where, where Darth Vader wants to conquer death, right? right. <laughs> oh, God. Right. Oh, yeah. Stop. I didn't want to think of that. Yeah. But, <laughs> but here there's none of that, right? And it's explained like on the first page. It's like hold, this is one of my favorite lines in the story: "Holding with Heckel that all life is chemical and physical process, and that the so-called myth soul is a myth." Right? That's his interest. His interest is in like, you know, he's he's read Heckel and and he wants to justify this. It, there's no 
there's no other motivation for these characters. Yeah, you're right. Well, it's there's one or like... two characters. It's just let's do this because that's the pursuit of science. It's actually a better story about science than maybe Frankenstein, where you at least have that just the reason why the character's doing it. Yeah, and you're right that it's like it's more like what he can get away with is the progression. Like the the more he does, then the more he feels like he can get away with the next time and push things even further. There is um there I think is I'm just trying to find it now. Isn't uh, Nietzsche later called out as well? Yeah, I think isn't he mentioned with the when the professor is skeptical and he's sort of like uh those old like professor doctors. How do you spell Nietzsche? Like anti everything. It's all he's always N I T. N-I-E-T-Z-C-H-E, something like that. There he is. Aha. Okay, so this is, um, it might be in the, yeah, it's in the Plague Demon. Um, Age has more charity for these incomplete yet high-souled characters, whose worst real vice is timidity, and and who are ultimately punished by a general ridicule for their intellectual sins. Sins like Ptolemaism, Calvinism, (laughs) anti-Darwinism, anti-Nietzscheism. And every sort of sabbatarianism and sumptuary legislation. Sumptuary. So um, he's making fun of uh, Dr. Halsey. Um, Mm. And he's saying, there's another scene like that where he talks about uh, the dean as being... as being someone who can be triumphed over, lorded over, and then forgiven, right? Um, that, that That's Herbert West's plan, is to show him, rub his face in it, and then magnanimously say, there, I'll, right. let, you, I'll let you maybe publish my, sh- my paper, polish my <laughs> shoes, you know? <laughs> yeah. And uh, there, this, um, this is, I, I, I really like the idea of thinking of, of, of Lovecraft as being all the characters because, and you know, and the narrator being, you know, uh, Herbert West really too, because um, there, I have somewhere on my desktop, uh, one of the um, childhood illustrations by Lovecraft. He he was racist as a kid as well. Um, So, you know, he was brought up in it, but there's a picture um, somewhere on my desktop of him. his Randolph Carter character fighting basically a bunch of demons, and he's got a sword in hand, and the sword says uh, Anglo-Puritanism or something. (laughs) 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 And I'm like, what? Seriously? (laughs) But he's like like 12 years old at the time, so, you know, Mm. you kind of, it makes a little more sense, but uh, uh, another thing that you mentioned, Mr. Jim Moon, that I think is really interesting, uh, especially thinking about this as a war a war within his own mind you know writing writing as sort of getting out your demons maybe your plague demons as well but getting out your <laughs> demons he he says um he has uh the oh i've lost my train of thought oh no it crashed off a cliff <laughs> uh, you said plague you said demons. something about uh, oh yeah it's about the how the reagent I guess it's not called a reagent in the uh, in the story original it's just a solution isn't it oh yes yeah yeah the, the formula the the um, word reagent is fun um and I think yes, that, yeah. uh, it's why we want to keep it and especially with the you you want it to be you know glowing yellow as well uh, no there is the word reagent is it in there 
I this is twenty five the Library of America. It's basically the second page. Okay. Find it. it had it had at first been as hope to find a reagent that would oh, restore okay. vitality before yeah. the actual advent of death. There it is. Yeah. And only repeated failures on admirals had shown him blah yeah. blah blah. Now I I believe solution comes up way more times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Injecting his solution, same solution. Yeah. So um the reagent slash solution um he uses it on the unnamed narrator who's super racist um describes the Harlem smoke as uh having four four legs instead of arms right and saying how disgustingly yeah. ugly he is yeah um but Mr. Jamun you said uh, something really interesting you point out that uh they speculate that the reagent will have to be adjusted because he's not human because he's say the races are so fundamentally different. That's it right. Turns out that's yeah. not the case. The reagent isn't racist. No, that's <laughs> right. It's not worse than any human. So the character um, is super racist, but reality mm-hmm. in the story that Lovecraft's written it treats everybody equally badly. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's also you know, that, that thing with the Harlem smoke. Um, when I was doing the raid, I did notice. Well he's described in appalling terms, but at least he gets described mm. as a living being, whereas mm. several of the other white um, subjects for the reagent are described as objects, as merely things. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? It's kind of, it's just, the more you look into it, the more you realize the narrator is an utter sociopath. The Harlem Swoke at least got recognized for being something else sentient, <laughs> where other things were just literally things to play with. Which goes back to uh, the whole theory that mm-hmm. yeah that that this is really uh, that the narrator is Herbert West and Herbert West doesn't exist because they share that same sort of disregard for basic humanity. Yeah, mm. absolutely. You know, um, I mean, I think it, I think it's very interesting. I mean, especially, I mean, these days, Lovecraft racism. I, I it, it's a fact. It's there in his letters. Blah blah blah. But I think there's a tendency people that now kind of sort of pathologize pathologizing his writing and seeing everything through that lens. And it's something I sort of take issue against because it's kind of, it's what I studied in literature. One thing our you know, professors and tutors tried to drum into us was to try and get out of this very sort of teenage mindset of treating any work by an author as like secret autobiography. Mm-hmm. It's a code to be cracked and, you know, everything relates to something in their life and it's a, uh, and that isn't the case. And, I, you know, now I'm older, I understand why. Because if you take that view, you're trying to explain away creativity. And the fact is, authors do use things from their own lives, but then they twist it and they change it. And they're, well, what if it was this? And, and hence you have something in here is kind of, you know, Herbert West's formula actually doesn't back up Lovecraft's own racist sort of scientific of the time-based theories. And he would have... That there, I, were, I, I feel there were physical differences between the races. There aren't, according to the reagents. Yeah, and that's I, really interesting. I feel like that that's what I'm talking about with the war in his own mind, that you know mm. he has these feelings about people, but he's also experiencing a lot of people from all over the country. And, you know, there are, there are incidents in his, in his life where he goes to a play and it has black actors in it, and he's like coming away with a different attitude. Um, But I just want to also point out how, like, I was reading another story that uh, I've just discovered by Lovecraft and C.M. Eddie Jr. Um, I haven't finished it yet, but it's uh, called Deaf, Dumb, and Blind. 
and uh, it's a oh yes, it's a quite interesting story so far. But um, I just wanted, uh, you know, I'm kind of thorough when I'm going through it. Uh, so it starts like this: A little afternoon on the 28th day of June 1924, Dr. Morehouse stopped his machine before the Tanner place, and four men alighted. So that's the first sentence. Um, it's, it sounds like it's possibly written by Lovecraft that part, but uh, there are some parts that are definitely listen, uh, written by him later on, at least. Um, but I just I, I thought, oh, that's an exact date. I can actually find out what day of the week that is, right? So I typed it into Google, and so this is 1924. This is two years after this story is first published, um, and. It, on the uh, June 28th, 1924, two significant events happened. Um, uh, and I bring this up just because the second one is much more interesting, I think, in terms of talking about racism. Uh, the Lorraine Sandusky tornado killed at least 85 people in Ohio on June 28th, 1924. And then also at the Democratic National Convention, a plan calling for the participation in the League of Nations was soundly rejected by a margin of blah, 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 blah. And a plank denouncing the Ku Klux Klan by name was also narrowly rejected. Mm. So this is, a, <laughs> this is a time where uh, the, one of the two major parties of the United States was, yeah, we can't denounce them. More than half the people at that event, the politicians, the leaders of, uh, the, of the United States... Say no, we can't. We can't say they're bad. Yeah. Well, the the, mm-hmm. the two when people talk about Lovecraft's racism, I, I find two go-to responses, and one is essentially it doesn't really matter, right? And and or it's not relevant to the text or the stories. And and like for someone like Wagner, who was a clear anti-Semite. I mean, I, I don't I, I squint really hard and I, and I listen and watch the Wagner operas and I don't see it. Maybe some people do, and I'm not in on the dog whistling, but I don't see it. So I, I can I can kind of separate them in that case, but I don't see that with Lovecraft. I actually see race as pretty central to oh, his yeah. he entire talks about work it all the time. And the second response we always get is it's like everyone was racist at that time or it was kind of in the culture. And so Lovecraft was not creative. And that's true. That that part of it is true, that Lovecraft's racism is built on a on a on a pretty uh, thick history and and intellectual history, you know, in uh, that he read that he was not just that he grew up with. He he actively read these kinds of works. And if you read his letters, I, I mean, anyone who doubts this has to read his letters because it's filled with it. He's obsessed with this stuff. Um, so he's trying to work I, I it think out the race has mind, to be tackled with. That, that's my position on this. I think to understand Lovecraft, we have to under, have to understand his racial theories and the racial theories of the time and actually grapple them because I think they're not separable. Absolutely. And you can see this, yeah. like compare him to Poe, right? Poe lives during the time of actual slavery, right? How many times in Poe stories does a black character ever appear? There's one. There's one story where there's a black character. He's it's uh it's the gold bug. All the rest of the time, it's just white guys talking about dead ladies. There's so it just never comes up. He's not interested in it, right? It's just it's just a reality that you know like. It, reading Edgar Allan Poe is not about reading about uh, 
slavery. It's not about reading about race. It's nothing about that. It's just not interest. He's not interested in it. Whereas with Lovecraft, it's central, really, to everything except for his dreams, right? His dream stories. It's central because it it's about you know avatism. It's about re- re- you know reverting to a sort of a primordial destruction and uh, losing one's dignity. I, I, I rewatched um, both the original Reanimator and the Bride of Reanimator, and I, I didn't remember Bride of Reanimator very well. <laughs> so I, I guess I hadn't rewatched it since whenever I originally watched it, maybe 1991 or whatever. But I noticed um, the, the story is all the worse, as in all the more horrific, by adding the love element. And that's it's really interesting because there is there are no women in this story as as far as I can tell at all, right? All mm. the bodies they they ex, uh, experiment on are male as far as I can tell. The uh, the darker venture radio theater has a couple of women in small roles. That's that, true, and they also give an, uh, they also give the guy a name, uh, the narrator a name. Did you catch his uh, his name? What was his name? It was uh, Doctor um, Gordon. <laughs> Stuart. Oh, that's right. That's right. They, yeah. They reversed the Stuart Gordon. Cute. Yeah, cute, it was cute. cute. Dr. Gordon Stewart. Um, and they are also very nice. They are also very good at, I think, showing uh, how racist both of the characters are. Right? It's almost like in that their version, their adaptation, they're trying to make us hate our two our two main characters. We're trying to sort of come to want to see them fail and be destroyed yes they, it's a, a they speci- lean into it they don't deny yeah, it at all yeah especially like in the uh the factory town part where they uh where they, they, they really the sneer Polish, down on yeah, that's right right yeah they really they really lay on a bit thick but i think it's i think you're right it is to make sure that yeah that we're not supposed to sympathize with these guys at all period whereas in the the um the two H.P. Lovecraft's Reanimator and Bride of Reanimator, the 85 and 90 films, um, Dan, uh, our narrator character, gets a name. He he is far more sympathetic, and he has to be sort of tricked into or cajoled into the uh, the actions that he takes. Um, so the first the first thing is the girlfriend doesn't want him to be roommates with with uh, Herbert West, but she won't marry him, right? And so he his his expenses are too high, and he has student loans. <laughs> we almost need Brian here because there's a a whole thing about they revoke his student loans <laughs> <laughs> halfway through his uh his because he's been doing these experiments. They say no, you, you, I I won't be able to go to school, right? And so when Herbert West uh in this in the movie he can really sort of let go and be the the wild monster that he is you know with um killing killing straight up murdering a dude right which is something that is uh i guess hinted at and really pointed out in a couple of ways in the story that scene where um (laughs) he said (laughs) i guess it's the end of part three or so where he, the, he says um, he Herbert had injected him in the hand to preserve the body so as I can uh, I, I could be witness and take notes during the revivification revivic, this stranger um, but then when he when the guy wakes up and he's 
fairly well preserved. He, the first thing he says is, you toe-headed freak, don't inject me with that needle. <laughs> and it's like, oh, <laughs> he is, um, <laughs> I mean, I guess there's some wiggle room there, <laughs> but it sounds like Herbert West just straight up murdered this dude because sure, yeah. he was, he wanted to do his, his tests. And mm. yeah, I, I yeah. think, yeah, that's what we're supposed, we're supposed to, uh, intuit from that. Yep. He, he, he went beyond the bounds of, uh, any sort of ethics and just wanted a first corpse and got it. But almost for perverse reasons. And, and I, I, I had always remembered, uh, I, I guess wrongly that in Bride of Reanimator, I thought they were in Vietnam, which doesn't make any sense, right? Cause the story is set in the eighties. How did they go back in time to the Vietnam war? It wasn't, it, it was set in per, a Peruvian civil war. Um, and what's cool is actually, if you look at the, the two films together, they're all they're actually quite faithful in a lot of ways to the original serial. Um, the the yeah. there are a couple character changes and the main addition is the woman, right? The or the women I should say the the love interests to make it and the plagiarist, uh, uh, the plagiarist, the other the other professor. Oh yes yes absolutely the one um, who wants to steal the reagent. Right that that, that was added to him. Yeah, yeah uh, but it. it it's just filling in sort of details because it's almost like the, yeah. the first film is only the first two or three uh, serials, right? And then when we get to the fourth, uh, the second mm-hmm. film, we we were uh, on the we're on the Canadian in, in the Canadian Army almost, and yeah, and, and they're in a Peruvian civil war for the exact same reasons. There's a shelling, um, but this all comes right back to me at the end. I have a question. I don't know what. I guess I'm stupid. I don't get it. What's in the box? I thought the box was the head of that that officer, yeah. right? But <clears throat> if it's Eric Moreland Chapman Lee, right? But isn't he directing the plague demons outside or the uh, armies of the dead, the legions of the? Like, why would he deliver his own head? I don't scare him. <laughs> <clears throat> Are you talking about in the book? In the book, in the book. In the book, yeah. Um, Yeah, because right after that, that's when all the bodies burst through the cellar wall, right? Yeah. So I'll just read that part here. It's got, um, as I have told the police, there was no wagon in the street, but only a group of strange-looking figures bearing a large square box which they deposited in the hallway after one of them had grunted in a highly unnatural voice. Express, pay, prepay. That's my favorite line. <laughs> it's great. And it's also another thing in the doorstep moment, right? <laughs> Whatever yeah. the thing in the box is. Um, this is also in another story, the uh, Arthur German uh, story. There's a, a wooden box delivered, and it's has a strange effect on the recipient. Um, uh, they filed out of the house with a jerky tread as a... And as I watched them go, I had an odd idea that they were turning towards the ancient cemetery on which the back of the house abutted. When I came, when I slammed the door and after them, West came downstairs and looked at the box. It was about, so they, they are always living together. They're, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I guess you were calling it Homer, a little touch of homoeroticism. But if it's one guy, it's, I, I guess that's not what it is. <clears throat> Um, if it's two guys, I think that it, plays into it though, because you have the same streak in hypnosis as well. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly. that kind of dissociated self. 
that mm-hmm. he both feared and loved. It was, um, yeah. I find yeah. it interesting then, Rachel, by, by part five, not only does he hate everyone, but he's not even that sure of West anymore. Goes, I don't know the way he's looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, part six is, even I mean, even within this story, so preposterous, right? Yeah. It's, it's, that it's maybe the culmination of that. The narrator's way to get rid of this part of his psychology, right? <laughs> or this part, his part of his, his mind. He exiles yeah. him with this army of zombies. That actually makes more sense than anything, because I couldn't figure that out either. So I'm just gonna keep reading it because I, I, I I'm still baffled. I've I've gone over it a few times and I'm like, if it's his head, why would he do that? But let's just just listen to this. Uh-huh. When I slammed the door and went after uh, door after them, Wes came downstairs and looked at the box. It was about two feet square and bore Wes's correct name and present address. It was all, it also bore the inscription from Eric Moreland Clapham Lee, Saint Eloy, Flanders. Six years before, in Flanders, a shelled hospital had fallen upon the headless reanimated trunk of Dr. Clapham Lee and upon the detached head, which perhaps had uttered articulate sounds. Okay. West was now was not West was not even excited now. His condition was more ghastly. Quickly, he said, it's the finish, but let's incinerate this. We carried this the, we carried the thing down to the laboratory, listening. So they are listening. They think it's a head, right? I do not remember many particulars. You can imagine my state of mind, uh, I guess. Can't we? <laughs> but, but it is a vicious lie to say that it was Herbert West's body which I put into the incinerator. Um, so somebody's accused him of that, right? We both inserted the whole unopened box, closed, closed the door, started the electricity. Nor did any sound come from the box after all. So they're expecting to hear something <laughs> in the mm. box. It was West who first noticed the falling plaster on that part of the wall where the ancient tomb masonry had been covered up. I was going to run, but he stopped me. Then I why did he stop? Then I saw a small black aperture, felt a ghoulish wind of ice, and smelled the charnel bowels of a put- of a putrescent earth. There was no sound but just saw the electric lights went out and I saw outlined against some phosphorescence of the netherworld a horde of silent, toiling things, which only insanity, things which only insanity or worse could create. And so that this is all explicitly shown in Bride of Reanimator, right? Right. Uh, yeah, towards the end, yeah. It, it took a very comedic effect, right? In the original film... Uh, there's the cat, the black cat that they bring back to life, which I think is terrific. It's sort of a nod to the black cat, yeah. right? Um, <laughs> it's so funny. And then in the in the sequel, they make uh, they show one of these horrific creations, which is uh, like a set of fingers and an eye. <laughs> they put it all together, and it, it's like what? And oh, actually, there's even in that same scene or in that same room, there's a shout out to the rats in the walls. I don't know if you guys caught that. No, I didn't. No. What was yeah. it? Well, he says, what is that sound? And he says, rats in the walls? <laughs> really? Oh, oh, I missed that. that. <laughs> it's cute. <laughs> and then I, 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 was, I was like, oh, wow. That's, that's a nice little shout out. Um, they were removing the stones quietly, one by one, from the centuried wall. And then as the breach became large enough... They came out into the laboratory in single file, so like an army, right? 
led by a stalking thing with a beautiful head made of wax. That that's also in uh, Bride of Reanimator. Oh, no, that's regular Reanimator, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's not yes, so beautiful, yeah. but <laughs> it's so com- comedic. A sort of mad-eyed monstrosity behind the leader seized on Herbert West. West did not resist, which is so strange, right? Or utter a sound. Then they all sprang at him and tore him to pieces before my eyes, bearing the fragments away into the subterranean vault of fabulous abominations. It's a great description because it makes it sound like they're almost nice. Wonderful. Abominations. (laughs) (laughs) West's head was carried off by the wax-headed leader who wore a Canadian officer's uniform. I like how he still hasn't changed his clothes since uh, six years ago. (laughs) As it disappeared, I saw that the blue eyes behind the spectacles were hideously blazing with their first touch of frantic visible emotion. Servants found me unconscious in the morning. Uh, Okay, so they have servants? Okay. West was gone. The incinerator contained only unidentifiable ashes. Detectives have questioned me, but they cannot... What can I say? The Sefton tragedy they will not connect with West, nor that, nor the men with the box, whose existence they deny. I told them of the vault, and they pointed to an unbroken plaster wall and laughed. So I told them no more. They imply that I am either a madman or a murderer. Probably I am mad, but I might not be mad if those accursed tomb legions had not been so silent. It's a very strange ending. And I, yeah. I I note that in the audio drama they do a framing story where the, the he's giving sort of um, I don't know testimony in exchange for uh, immunity. Yeah. Right. And this actually makes a little bit more sense uh, if you think about what who if this is a serial and it's told over six parts and he sort of repeats himself endlessly. Um, and he also has these sort of big gaps that are unexplainable. It's it feels a lot like Poe's uh, the Telltale Heart, or uh, there's another one like that where he talks about how how uh, he's very very sane. <laughs> um, but the the important part here is maybe he's talking to his own defense attorney, right? trying to explain the story as to you know how he can possibly be defended or let out of wherever he is he is being locked up but the fact that he he when he points to the wall and says there's a you know a massive monster set of monsters behind that wall and they say dude it's all plastered up it, it's almost like he's having a psychotic break in the way that um, you would see in a story by Guy de Montpassant or almost Philip K. Dick, you know, because he, he he has this weird thing where Herbert West will hold him, right? And Herbert West will do this, and Herbert West does this, and, and, and because he's always being sort of so controlled by West, we see this in The Hound as well, where uh, or even uh, the statement of Randolph Carter, right, the way it works. Um He's got this guy who he fears and who dominates him, but he has a reluctant fascination, right? It's not my actual inclination, he says. It's a reluctant fac- fascination that holds me. <laughs> and then we have this this bizarre break with what other people could report. If you had a coda after this um, that just read, uh, you know, what his his um, 
his lawyer had said, you know, on the on the notes, if these were case notes, he says looked into uh, Herbert West uh, medical school records. No such student ever existed. It would be like so obvious that that's exactly what's going on, right? Yeah. I mean, it would be so clear. But it also um, it really confused me. It seemed like Herbert West at the end committed suicide, and I couldn't really figure that out either. Exactly. But it kind of makes sense if, with Jim Moon's theory as well. If he's if he is a madman, and that's him putting it to bed, but putting it in behind the wall, <laughs> this whole fantasy that he's been holding on to. And it's also the first time that West's eyes show any emotion. So has he got some kind of a conscience all of a sudden? <laughs> I, I, I will point out I added a coda at the end of the, of the original, or in, in the PDF document, um, normally, I take all the ads out of of the thing because I, I just don't want to waste ink. But this was um, printed, you know, during World War II. By the time the Americans are actually gotten into it, um, and there was an ad at the bottom that says, "After uh, the Tomb Legions, buy war bonds." That's the entire ad. <laughs> and I was like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> it's a nice coda, right?" <laughs> it's like. Uh, Let's make more of these dead folks for people. <laughs> it's sort of un- an unconscious joke by the publisher somehow. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. Who uh, who watched the Italian film? The yes, I did. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> did anyone else watch it? I did. No. I didn't have the chance. Can I can yeah, I read please. you guys Jesse's review of it that he sent me on Twitter? Oh, really? How he described it? Okay. And then and then tell us what you thought. Yes. Yeah. Th- this is how Jesse described it to me. And, um, uh, it's he said, it has a lot of Italian cafes, some yellow liquid, Italian ladies and men, violins, chain, lots of darkness, a shout out to Frankenstein, dripping liquids, blood. And then he writes, waiting for improv class to end and the script to begin, <laughs> which is 100% accurate. Oh my gosh. It was hard to watch. It was really hard to watch. I have a, I have a, I think, very defensible argument that they never read the original story and had only ever seen the trailer for the original Stuart Gordon movie. Oh, because, I wanted that. Because it's absolutely disconnected from... Lovecraft, Herbert West um, reanimated the original story, and and I mean they have the syringe, right, with the with the green liquid, but it's also not exactly the same. And then did you see? Could you sit through the scene where there's a the lady goes into the bathtub and she goes under the water and comes back out as a man, as Herbert West Jr. <sighs> or something? I'm I, like, what the fuck is going on? I watched this with two friends, and like you have never seen three more confused people in a room before. Like we were just like baffled. It is so baffling. And then there's this whole sequence. Like I, I guess you know, one way a charitable way of reading it is that in the original story, um, and and also a little bit in the uh, first movie, they are they're curious as to what what death is like what what is beyond death were you in vast empty abysses you know was it a a, a chamber of of anything or was it uh, a non-continuous experience right did you just start stop and then start up again like uh, a car engine and yeah a lovecraft's answer seems to be uh, let's tell some jokes about <laughs> about 
what's going on and make things really horrific, right? Um, but the screaming also, you know, the the characters screaming in their re- rebirth, uh, how's he put it? Uh, um, death is uh, birth is always painful <laughs> in the original movie, right? Um, it, the, I guess the answer, because Lovecraft is a materialist, right? Just like our our uh, protagonists and <laughs> they are protagonists. They they're just not heroes. Um, <laughs> just like they are. Um, he's a material, so I don't think he thinks that there is an afterlife. Um, But they're curious to try and test that theory out, right? And Uh I think that the whole back half of that shitty 2017 (laughs) Italian H.P. Lovecraft reanimator movie is, if if it has any excuse for that whole back half, which doesn't make any sense, because they just keep shooting each other and stabbing each other over and over again, I, I don't understand what's going. It might be their answer is uh, death is 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 horrific, and that the afterlife is is horrific. And I think that that might be resonating with all the screaming of. Well, they were in like limbo. Yeah, not quite the that, afterlife. Yeah, and then some guy wants wants I don't know key or water or something. She there's a lot water. of there's a lot of stop motion and black and white in the uh, makeup limbo. was good. Makeup, yeah. <laughs> makeup was good. They made a lot of use of uh, very few props and actors, but yeah. the the film was terrible. Terrible. I don't I'm not even know funny what that at, was. Not funny. Uh, funny. Like if I if I was laughing at it, I was laughing at it in a way they probably wouldn't like. But yeah, just uh, that is just the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> it, it it should have been the end in some of those people's cases because uh, I don't. I don't know what they were doing. It really needed a script. I, I would have given up on that movie a lot earlier. Like me and my friends were like, should we, should we just like, you know, life is too short for this. Yeah, we'll just yeah. stop it. And then we only had, then by the time we finally decided to turn it off, it was like, there's only 15 minutes left. Let's yeah, just yeah. watch it and see if anything <laughs> like resolves. And no. it's like, nope. nope. So uh, apologies to Rose and Chris for making you guys watch that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I blame Jesse. Uh, I, uh, uh, <laughs> I regret having known about it too because <laughs> it, it was. I, I'm kind of a completist, but I I didn't rewatch Beyond Reanimated because I don't I don't remember it being connected at all uh, to the original story, so I thought I didn't really need to read it. But I do I I think there's some some actual improvement in having a female in the story. Um, the love interest, especially because you know adapting it to film, it's hard to show. Uh, the Tyler Durden story, <laughs> the Tyler, uh, the uh, Fight Club story. It, it's it's hard to do that in film without a lot of, you know, interesting edits and style and all that. So they had to go a different direction, and I think they did a really good job. And the the thing that happens in Bride of Reanimator is they create they create literally it is it is like a love story not only to um, to the original reanimator story they're also talking about frankenstein and and the film of bride of frankenstein right and the Most original yes and the original motivation behind frankenstein is his mother's death and he wants to eliminate death he's so damaged by it as a child that he becomes obsessed and it becomes his whole thing right and what's so striking is that in the first film it's it's basically a, a comedy and it has this great button ending where he's going to revivify his girlfriend right after she's been killed the second one they've got her heart still 
and they create a woman out of a bunch of parts, which is something that's in the story, uh, the, the parts, experimenting with parts, right? And then that actually, I think, gives some insight as to what's going on. Like, if it is the head in the box, right, uh, at the end of this original short story, um, if it is a head in the box, it doesn't stop him, right? Because their theory is that all body parts uh, have sort of the built-in... I don't want to say animus, but animation. They have this built-in ability to navigate and, you know, work together. It's explained away in the uh, original film with the, uh, the... He does lobotomies to make the zombies more controllable, and they sort of mm. abandon that in the second film. But it's, it is it is actually very interested the original film is very, very interested in Lovecraft's story and trying to reconcile and make it all make sense and still be a really funny, you know, very low-budget film. It, it, it's it's a, a horror comedy, but I, so is the original, right? Mm-hmm. That's the thing is this is a comic mm-hmm. story, even though it's it's ridiculous. It's the same way I'm, I, I got it. You guys all got to read The Love Dead. It's so funny. Because it is the exact same kind of humor here. Um, it's a serial killer who gets his jollies by killing people. Um, and it's not he's not twisted in that he wants to see what he can make out of them. He's twisted in that he wants to make it with them. <laughs> <laughs> Which is creepy as fuck. But really funny. Well, the thing is, people don't appreciate that Lovecraft had a sense of humor. Totally um, obvious in this, I think. As I said earlier, we've developed a very pathologized view of the man. And um, to the point, we're seeing him as, one of his, as if he's one of his own characters. Mm-hmm. And it's based on picking up on a, a thing here, something he said there. Whereas, you know, kind of, I mean, if you read his letters, I mean, apart from his politics, which is quite shocking for a lot of people to find but you do find actually he's surprisingly funny mm-hmm. and self-depreciating and does have a very wicked sense of humor and for a, and it's often quite quite naughty risque humor as well kind of mm. in, a, in a tasteful way but it, it is there you know what i mean he's not kind of um quite as sort of this kind of premium proper repressed figure mad recluse that we ought to often see him at and so I think some, some things he writes are just hysterically funny. And I remember when the movie Reanimated came out, a lot of people said it was a lot of fun. But, you know, I mean, I remember the famous uh, Larry Norman, who was kind of Britain's leading film critic for his own weekly show. He said, oh, poor old H.P. Lovecraft must be spinning in his grave just seeing this done to his famous story. And um, as a young Lovecraft fan, I was going, you know, I like Reanimated videos, but it's not. It's not proper Lovecraft and making fun of it. And it was only when I went back and read Reanimator a few years later, I thought, actually, look, this is hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, you, you know, it's one of those, once you start seeing the humour, you realise there's a lot more humour in Lovecraft stories, and we often read it po-faced and take it maybe a bit more seriously than even he did sometimes. The same way as in M.R. James, there's lots of jokes in M.R. James people don't know are there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because we hear M.R. James has a similar kind of public perception of, oh, he was this serious academic and very uptight and very straight-laced. And 
we have to take him very seriously indeed. Um, I think that's what's been so fun about reading Lovecraft with you guys is getting rid of that idea that I had before that he was like mm. this really serious recluse and reading is and that he was just so engaged, like so engaged writing to other people and in conversation all the time and then mm-hmm. seeing his stories in that light. Like it does change it a little bit and you do see, you do read things a little bit differently. And he, he was really, he was also really engaged with, you know, other fiction. So he, Mm. Uh, I, I, did anybody get a chance to read uh, One Summer Night? Because I've got it here. It's only five minutes to read. I'll read it to you if you haven't heard it before. I haven't heard it. Okay, so uh, One Summer Night is by Ambrose Bierce. Um, I, it, it is, I, I want to say 1906, but I'm just going by memory. Um, it's, it's pretty short. Uh, I'll read it. And it was uh, serialized, I think, in McCall's, and it has some nice illustrations. It's, it's, um, kind of the uh, body snatchers by uh, Robert Louis Stevenson and uh, obviously I think influential on um, reanimator as well uh, here uh, Ambrose Bierce also well known for his sense of humor um, the fact that Henry Armstrong was buried did not seem to to him to prove that he was dead he had always been a hard man to convince. <laughs> <laughs> that he was really buried was the testimony of his senses. Oh, that he was really buried, the testimony of his senses compelled him to admit. His posture flat upon his back, with his hands crossed upon his stomach and tied with something that he easily broke out of without profitably altering the situation. This strict confinement of his entire person, the black darkness and profound silence, made a body of evidence impossible to controvert, and he accepted it without cavil. But dead, no. He was only very, very ill. He had, withal, the invalid's apathy and did not greatly concern himself about the uncommon fate that had been allotted to him. No philosopher was he, just a plain, commonplace person gifted with the, for the time being with a pathological indifference. The organ that he feared consequences with was, so, with was torpid. So, with no particular apprehension for his immediate future, he fell asleep and all was peace with Henry Armstrong. But something was going on overhead. It was a dark summer night, shot through with infrequent shimmers of light, silently firing a cloud lying low in the west and pretending a storm. These brief stammering illuminations brought out with ghastly distinctness the monuments and headstones of the cemetery and seemed to set them dancing. It was not a night in which any credible witness was likely to be straying about a cemetery. So the three men who were there, digging into the grave of Henry Armstrong, felt reasonably secure. Two of them were young students from a medical college a few miles away. The third was a gigantic Negro named and known as Jess. For many years, Jess had been employed about the cemetery as a man of all work, and it was his favorite pleasantry that he knew, quote, every soul in the place, unquote. From the nature of what he was now doing, it was ineffable, uh, sorry, inferable that the place was not so populous as its register may have shown it to be. Outside the wall, as part of the grounds farthest from the public road, were a horse and a light wagon waiting. The work of excavation was not difficult. The earth with, with which the grave had been loosely filled a few hours before offered little resistance and was soon thrown out. Removal of the casket from the box was less easy, but it was taken out, for it was a perquisite of Jess, who carefully unscrewed the cover and laid it aside, exposing the body in the black trousers and white shirt. 
At that instant, the air sprang to flame. A crackling, sh- a cracking shock of thunder shook the stunned world, and Henry Armstrong tranquilly sat up. With inarticulate cries, the men fled in terror, each in a different direction, for nothing on earth could two of them have been persuaded to return. But Jess was of another breed. In the gray of the morning, the two students, pallid and haggard, from the anxiety and with the terror of their adventure still beating tumultuously in their blood, met at the medical college. You saw it? cried one. God, yes! What What are we to do? They went around the, to the rear of the building, where they saw a horse attached to a light wagon hitched to a gatepost near the door of the dissecting room. Mechanically, they entered the room. On a bench in the obscurity sat the Negro Jess. His rose... He, sorry, he rose, grinning all eyes and teeth. I'm waiting for my pay, he said. Stretched naked on a long table lay the body of Henry Armstrong, the left, sorry, the head defiled with blood and clay from a blow with a spade. So this is almost could be a, a missing adventure, or it's almost mm-hmm. like number two, or even number one in this story, right? Or we've got these two medical students running away from the graveyard. <laughs> and um, it's a, just a nice little uh, vignette of um, uh, something that really happened. People did rob graveyards to uh, do their medical, ex- you know, practice up for their medical exams, right? Right. Well, yeah. yeah that was a big thing. I, I, I There's a book about this I called uh, Monsters of the Market. Well, it's just got one chapter on this issue. And it, it talks about, like, mostly Shelley, I think. Mm-hmm. But that, like, working class bodies were often victims, in Britain at least, you know, especially capital punishment victims. Because, mm. you know, back in the 18th century, it didn't take much to get hung, you know, in, in New, you know, in, where was that place? Newgate's a prison. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Was the, Tyburn, mm. yeah. Tyburn. Tyburn was where they hung you. It didn't take much to get hung, you know, at Tyburn or get sent to America or something. So a lot of these capital punish victims got got sent off to the medical schools, right? And that's like the experimentation of the working class body by by medical students or whatever is a, was a common occurrence. And Burke, Burke and Hare, that was their fate. That's right. And that, yeah. that, that and, uh, was... Adapted by Robert Louis Stevenson, I think mm. that that's yeah. supposed to be Burke and Hare. And there is supposedly a pocketbook, I think, found in Burke's skin, so the existence. Wolf. Yep. Wow. <laughs> but <laughs> and I think the, both these stories do tap into something that if you've actually known medical students, you will hear some terrifying tales of what goes oh. on <laughs> at student parties. But, oh, my God. <laughs> Do any of you know the other Lovecraft story where we see experimentation on on working class people? Which one is that? That's the case of Charles Dexter Ward. Oh yeah, yeah. So Charles, no, it's Kerwin, right? Kerwin is yep. Dexter Ward's ancestor, and a lot of that story is his, is Joseph Kerwin's backstory and what he did. He was like a slave trader, mm. and these slaves disappeared into the uh, I guess into the market right where mm-hmm. where slaves went but he he before he perfected his method of like reducing bodies to their essential salts and reviving them he had to experiment on often on these 
just slaves he brought in. And they were all still alive. So when, what's the hero of that story? Like the old professor who goes into the catacombs, right? He goes mm-hmm. deep into Kerwin's dungeon. And those bodies, they're still alive. Those experiments are still living. And there's this really dramatic scene where Kerwin in Charles Dixon Ward's body or no, like he has taken over, like he's taken over Charles Dixon Ward's identity. And he says, you know, like they haven't eaten in hundreds of years or something. It's a really great moment. Yeah. And then the, the, that whole thing is about eat. That's one of the things that never shows up in the, in this, right. Is that once you're a re- reanimated zombie, right. Mm-hmm. It, 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 one of them shows up as having eaten a local child, which is I guess I, another Frankenstein reference. I, I, Frankenstein is never shouted out to in the actual Herbert West re- reanimator. It's never the word is never spoken, you know. But that that uh, 2017 film, they said it endlessly, and it's very distinctive because even if you're not reading the subtitles, you can hear Frankenstein right? in yeah. the Italian. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, well, so I think. If you're, Consider when Reanimated was written, it's before the first movie version of Frankenstein. And basically, the Frankenstein story people think they know isn't Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Mm. It's James Whale's Frankenstein. Right. In the, in the book, it's, it's very vague about how the monster's brought to life. And the monster is this kind of... New, first of a new race is intelligent and articulate and that's the crux of the book about man becomes god then doesn't know what to do with his creation mm. whereas we think of the frankenstein story as being actually about man you know should not meddle with things that you know he's not meant to understand and don't bring the dead back to life it's a bad idea but that's a reading based on decades of people remaking james wells frankenstein with mute Creatures, you know, resurrected from body parts rather than Mary Shelley's. And I think that's well, why there's no, we, we see sort of reanimated being closer to Frankenstein, but it's closer to the Frankenstein movies than the novel. You're absolutely right, because except for that professor, Haley, all the victims here are, are working class, right? They're soldiers, they're Canadian soldiers and Flanders mm-hmm. later on. Like the description of the very first victim, or whatever, the first person they revived. Where is it? Yeah, victim or patient. No, I can't, <laughs> can't find it. I mean, there's a lot of emphasis on the chapter three description or the chapter four description of the mm-hmm. of the boxer, but this one is a is a doozy too. Here it is. It had been a sturdy and apparently unimaginative youth of wholesome plebeian type, large frame, gray eyed and brown haired, a sound animal without psychological subtleties and probably having a vital process of the simplest and healthiest sort. Now with the eyes closed, it looked more asleep than dead. Well, you know, that's, that's description, but there's, you know, we talk a lot about Lovecraft's racism, but he's got all these class anxieties too that, that come off, you know, in this story as well. Mm-hmm. I want to point out that in the uh, first illustration, but there's the silent working class. That's, that's kind of my reading of this. In the first and, illustration, and there is a picture of that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on page 85 of the, uh, well, numbered 85. It's like page four or so. Um, and there's a caption. We laid the specimen on the improvised dispe- dissecting table in the old farmhouse. Then we set to work. 
and we see somebody we presume is Herbert West standing sort of hands up over the corpse. The corpse itself does not look healthy at all. It looks like an alien autopsy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a shadow of Herbert West behind Herbert West. And then to the right, there's a cloaked figure with no shadow. And that cloaked figure may be the narrator. And it's like, this is already setting us up for saying, wait, 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 what's actually going on here? <laughs> right? Because that does not look like, that, that guy does not look healthy. So uh, what <laughs> up is down is, and black is white and you know, everything, everything is untrue. This is an unreliable narrator in his own testimony, right? He says right at the end that, um, you know, if, if uh, it's the last sentence, but I not, I might not be mad if those accursed tomb legions had not been so silent. What if they had been making noises? <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> it have been sane. Well, that's the inflation I picked up on the idea that, well, they're silent. Because this is like an hallucination. Yes. Um, yes. He's being And that's when you begin to realize, hang on, maybe all of this wasn't as real as I thought it was. Yes. Yes. And the, he, he, he's always talking about how Herbert West, for the, uh, for the 16 years that followed, right, or however long that followed, he was always felt like there's somebody behind him. Yeah, it was literally the narrator. <laughs> um and then uh, there's this patient in the insane asylum for 16 years right um uh, who's banging his head against the wall how do we know that's not the narrator too like (laughs) this might be a lot more incestuous in terms of numbers of characters than you you might think um i i also wanted to point out you guys i sent you this um this great uh, i was like grade 12 it's Age 12 HP Lovecraft illustration that's just insane. You got to see it because um, it it it's him working stuff out already at age 12. Starts episode number two. Randolph Carter defies the demons of Bal Naplong, and then you've got a little figure in the bottom left hand corner wearing a Puritan hat, and it's tagged <laughs> HPL. And then he's holding wow. a very strange little sword that says Sword of Puritan Ethics. And then you've got a bunch of monsters that he's fighting. The Latin this is his drawing? Yes, this is written, drawn by H.P. Lovecraft. The Rebel Clever. Flea. Hashish. <laughs> Force, a, a free verse. Oh, you got to kill the demon free verse. Nietzsche the demon of eroticism. Yeah. Absent. A Benedict, a Benedictine <laughs> diction. Absinthe. Picturesque obscenity. What? What? Wow. Gallicism. Gal- what? what are you going to get to France, Lovecraft? The Hectic ironic imp. is a elder thing, it looks like. They're all mo- they're all monsters, and some of them are cute little monsters, like the rebel Ab- flea. And absinthe is cute. Yeah. <laughs> absinthe looks sad. Sophistication is like a furry little animal there with two legs. <laughs> That galaxism can't have that. Can't have it's so strange. He's he's he. I mean, that this is something that a twelve-year-old is is you know. Wow, I can't believe it. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> it, it, it is surpri- It's surprisingly, um, I don't know, reflective of of what we're seeing. So he's putting all of this in. I think. I don't think Mr. Jim Moon's tinfoil hat theory is is all that tinfoil hatty. I think it's very um, 
on the nose. I think it's a close reading. Yeah. Uh, I do think it was kind of, he, he was writing this as he went along and the idea occurred to him, well, hang mm. on. But then he did sort of save it up for a better story at the, in the end. I, I, it is a better, a hypnosis is a terrific mm. story. Um, and it is, it is uh, the grandfather of, of Fight Club, I think. But doesn't the narrator? Here, I guess this is the one like rub in this. The, am I confusing this with the movie? The narrator and the story seems to believe in the afterlife. He's, he's given a motivation. He says he has. He doesn't say he believes in the afterlife, but he's not as sure as Herbert West, right? Yeah, he specifically yeah. says he doesn't at the start, and then I think it's around the middle. He kind of is like, "Well, but I still have questions about it." Like. He's not totally convinced. That's why this picture is so, to me, important. Because all of those things are in his head, right? (laughs) The demon of eroticism. (laughs) It's in his head. And it's like, is this really what we want to do? Now, let's fight it with our sort of Puritan ethics. Um, This is why he relies so heavily on, you know, being a gentleman, right? This solves everything by being a gentleman. Um, Which is, you know, it's nice, but (laughs) it's... Maybe not the greatest offense against everything, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, and that that's um that's uh, just a pattern we see again and again and again with Randolph Carter and um, uh, in the statement of Randolph Carter and in the Hound. Although in the Hound they they they're both pretty much equally as bad as the other. Here, um, there's a claim that they're not equally as bad as the other, but in Hypnos, it's um you know. <laughs> this guy becomes his master, and in hypnos again, there's a there's a a bust, right? So maybe that's what's in the box is is his own head. It, it's almost like a uh, that's there's a story by Guy de Maupassant that it's called Who Knows, and it's about a guy oh yes, a great story, guy escaping from uh, his house, uh, as in uh, another story uh, called. Um, the Horla, uh, a guy escapes his house, um, and f- and then when he comes back late na- late some night uh, from the city, he f- finds all his furniture is leaving his house, like walking out of the <laughs> out of the doors, and he freaks out, goes to the doctor. Doctor says you need to go on vacation, so he goes on vacation, and while he's on vacation, he finds a a nice little boutique where all his furniture is on sale, and he freaks out. <laughs> <laughs> runs back to the hotel and uh, texts his, or not texts he uh, emails or I don't know messages his servant at home he says uh, is my furniture in its place at home and servants, <laughs> the servants are like yeah it all mysteriously reappeared and, and it can all be read like as a guy losing his faculties you know the furniture of his mind and then it all coming back suddenly it's it's so interesting because if there's any pattern to H.P. Uh, Lovecraft stories, it's about people going, ending up in insane asylums. Even in The Loved Dead, right? He's going to be locked up in the tomb, which we just did. He's locked up, right? Everything is about going back, going, ending up in an insane asylum. Oh, poor kid. <laughs> poor <laughs> Lovecraft. Right? Mom and dad it. are both in the insane asylum, and well, that's where everybody goes. I guess it's just yeah. a, oh, how am I going to end there? Let's let's work this scenario out a whole bunch of times. Ugh. Oh, it really now. tormented him. Yeah. <laughs> but then again, it is also quite a common trope in horror and gothic fiction. 
If, if, if you don't end um, facing the hangman's noose and it's revealed this has always been the last confession, it's often it's the last confession of the man in the asylum going, no, it all happened, let me out. There are demons on us. That's right. But I think, you know, for Lovecraft, there is a personal connection you can draw there. And I think for Lovecraft, certainly, it's kind of the idea of losing your reason what was very terrifying. I think it's, it's, it's terrifying for for anyone who's well read with a big memory, the idea of losing who you are and mm. being able to articulate it. And uh, uh, you have to also remember the uh, the quality of mental hair care, health care, shall we say, which Lovecraft would have been familiar with from his own experiences. Mm. It was kind of, if you got the asylum, it's kinda, you probably weren't going to get out. Yeah, <laughs> was, you if know. you think about it, he didn't go to a doctor while he was dying, did he? Mm. Mm. He was not a big fan of going, and he never uh, apparently never went into the asylum while his mom was there, right? People talk about all the fears that he had, but obviously not a big fan of doctors. Yeah, no, mm. <laughs> not based on this story. No. <laughs> <laughs> Their ethics are somewhat questionable. Mm. But then again, that's, I think this is why this this story in particular is an early one does resonate still with people is that it does tap into that fear that I think most of us have at some level to some degree or another that you're not always convinced that the doctors are acting in your best interest mm. <sighs> sometimes it's kind of like mm, we could try on this new pill it's kind of will this make you better or do you want to see what it does yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm curious it's, to see the results <laughs> You know, it's it's a paranoia we we all have because you know, at the end of the day, we we have even now we have the bizarre relationship with medicine of that we kind of expect it to be able to fix everything. But at the same time, we know it doesn't, and that mm. plays out with this kind of do you, you know trust and paranoia you have with you know when you deal with a medical professional. It's kind of there, you know there, why people like, are want second opinions because you know if you take against someone's bedside manner, you're mm. not going to trust their diagnosis well the hierarchies in like asylums or hospitals mm. are are different than like in the workplace right when the like the boss at the at, at the job says do this you, you got to do it and you understand that relationship more but like in a hospital like the doctor says like sign this informed consent and that's i don't know i've actually I've never done this but you know we're going to try this new drug out on you you know sign this thing you know, to con- you know, to consent to this. I mean, how can you, as a patient, ever really understand what's going on there? Yeah, what's involved in that? And that, that it's, legal it's such a very different not, relationship than normal you, hierarchies we deal with. Yeah, it's not for you; it's for them, right? Yeah, That's the the, rela- the relationship is. We'd like to do this, but we don't want to be held responsible for it. <laughs> if you it cool goes with right, that? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Um, I'm surprised we haven't mentioned the the Poe story that he might have been thinking of in this the the facts in the case of Ben Baldomar. Mm, yeah. Oh yes. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I mean that story is more supernatural because we got a mesmerist and the mesmerist is trying to hold someone at the point of death. Oh, that and, was uh, that they thought of that as science at the time, right? That it, was science at yeah. the time. Right, it's but uh, but but it, 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 it's just bad science and. And 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 he's is trying to keep that guy at the at the point of death, and he wanted to catch him at the point of death, less like uh, our Herbert West wanted to get the freshest possible courses for the best possible chance at a reanimation. So I can see there's some 
parallels. And of course, in the in the Baltimore story, it all goes wrong, and the and the guy decays into uh, into nothingness, basically. Yeah, it's once. pretty. It's pretty gr- gr- horrific, uh, like this story is, right? With the gruesomeness. It's yes, yes. It's, that's that's just what marked me too. Kind of yeah. the point of that story, right? And I also want to point out. Uh, I'm pretty sure, um, maybe I'm wrong, but from my remembering of the M in M. Valdemar is not, um, an, it's not a monsieur, and it's not a um, first initial. I believe it is uh, a, a missing word. So they used to do this in fiction all the time. You know, in the year 1890X, right? So they're trying to hide the details so you don't embarrass the it's like you don't dox the the real original and Mm -hmm. the the story was told uh, the original was published as a hoax right so he he was always trying to get people to publish his stuff in the newspapers and you know poke fun at you know everybody he's kind of a a japer right (laughs) a man who's going around the man who japed Yes, (laughs) Yes, um, he's he, he's trying to fuck with things, right? So he he wants the audience to be unsure if if this is a true story or not. Um, whereas with this, I I don't think anybody. No, I mean, no, it's no, in no. a comedy magazine. Um, even uh, by the way, that gruesome tales. I I just figured it out this morning while I was in the shower. Gruesome is spelled G R E W. S O M E, which is not the normal spelling of Cruzum. I was like, why is it called that? Why? Why? Oh, because the magazine's name is Homebrew, B R E W. So they're just making a pun, right? Cruzum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh God, that's a really uh, low, low pun. Oh wow. Well. That's exactly the kind of ma- the magazine on the cover is what we have mostly as the covers for it. Um, it's it is all about getting intoxicated, um, making your own alcohol at home. Um, there's women dancing and men getting drunk. Basically, that's what the magazine's cover is about. So it's a magazine of entertainment in the way that uh, The Idler was, or um, there was another one, uh, The Smart Set, very much like The Smart Set, except as a lowbrow version of that. But this is about commencing prohibition, so mm-hmm. giving you home actual homebrew recipes. It's, it's getting towards anarchist cookbook territory, really. Indeed, yes. It could be in a lot of trouble for getting, getting caught with a copy of this in some states, I'd imagine. I think there's also... Brewing your own beer. Yeah, I, I think he can... Uh, the uh, publisher could have got away with it, too, by saying, you know, this is homemade um, mm. f- fiction. This, You know, he's charging 25 cents, which really they all the uh, fanzines did charge, right? Just so that they could cover postage, but it was, it was uh, th- th- that was the slickest fanzine I've ever seen. If it was a fanzine, um, homebrew, it was. I mean, he a paying market. That's that never happens in fanzines, right? So that that is the slickest fanzine I've ever seen. What we call a prozine back in the yeah, the I guess fanzine. yeah, <laughs> mm. yeah, yeah, and. And this is the their version of the internet, right? With this is uh, those are like home pages as opposed to email, mm. which is letters, right? All, all flying around these letters, and then that stuff shows up on on content. It's it's amazing to look at what what's going on back then, and and seeing a, as a parallel to just like a slow version of the internet, because 
people all over the United States and all around the world were connected to Weird Tales through its publication and and you know as soon after Amazing is publishing the addresses of people who want to be in the club so that they can exchange letters and it it is a it's like a fan forums and all that stuff it's very cool and we have it all preserved well a lot of it anyways more than you'd expect yeah so i i would assume that um stuart gordon had read uh this in the early 80s very early 80s this story and then got into adapting it is that do we know anything about how because H.P. Uh, Lovecraft's Reanimator is the first story, I think, with H.P. Lovecraft in the title, right? And that really sort of, it, it's where I think I first heard of Lovecraft, hmm. other than maybe through Robert E. Howard. Um, I think I remember reading somewhere that um, Jordan encountered Lovecraft first in uh, the late 60s, early 70s, when he was at university. Mm-hmm. It's one of those bizarre things, along with like Tolkien. Um, when Lovecraft hit paperback, he was eagerly devoured by, um, by you know, what we call the, the beatnik or the hippie generation, who, who really sort of, you know, sort of, you know, dug it as it were in a way that you know people previously hadn't, and actually, you know, what we now call a fandom emerged. Back then, it was just being called a cult. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Love. I mean, because Gordon has a, you know. He started out in theatre, doing student productions, a lot of experimental plays, and um, I know he did an adaptation of a Bradbury play. So he was reading all these kind of guys in college. Um, I think Reanimator like, just tickled him to do when he, when he got a chance to do a movie. Did you also get a chance to see the trailer for the play, uh, musical theatre version of H.P. Lovecraft's Reanimator? No, no. no. Oh, it's so good. Stuart Gordon directed a play, a musical play version of his film. And they do it, they recap the whole story, but with music. You know, like it's a musical. And they have, you know, all the makeup that you would see in the original. (laughs) So, like, it it is just as horrific. And I think that that would have been an amazing thing to see. It, it, It was as far as I can tell, it hasn't been, you know, recorded on DVD or anything that is publicly available. But the trailer's on YouTube, and it's just, it's awesome. George Went plays, uh, the he's from um, Cheers, plays the Dean. Yes. Mm. And it's very, it's very, it looks terrific. It would have been a great show to go see. <laughs> and it, it is almost play-like, because if you look at the sets, right, they... One of the things you I maybe I heard it in like a commentary track. It's really obvious. Like when they go down to the um, the morgue, there's a, a security guard sitting at a desk outside the morgue room, but his desk takes up more than half the hallway, and like he's got a TV on it. Like it just doesn't make any sense that they would set up a. <laughs> Are they really having a problem with bodies? Like they just didn't design, they just didn't design the room properly, right? He's there as kind of a comic relief, um, you know, to set up some tension. And there's a there's a scene where the while he's reading his uh, boudoir magazine, <laughs> um, the uh, the headless corpse comes by with a wax <laughs> replacement head and sort of sneaks into the room and you because he's so distracted with his his uh, pornography he <laughs> that the guy is a wax face 
<laughs> it's <is> so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I I found it. I I was worried about I was worried about watching it too late at night because I I don't want to have nightmares. But um, it was it was so. I and in fact I was thinking about the ending. Herbert West basically dies at the end of the first movie, but it's never mentioned in the next movie. He's just right there and they're back at it, um, which is uh, kind of in keeping with the serialization. <laughs> You know, Herbert West disappears, and then, oh, he's back again. Let yeah. me recap. It's pretty <laughs> funny. It's good comedy. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. You didn't say anything exciting without me, I hope. Yeah, it was so exciting. No, I was just wondering, oh, sorry, you missed it all. Lovecraft stories. In, I was, when I was, Jim Moon's use of laboratory, first it's like, well, that doesn't sound like an American way to say it, but then I don't know if Lovecraft should be read in a, an American accent. Well, how, how is it spelled? Because laboratory is, is the way people say it around here. And these yeah. parts. That's, that's, the, that's the new world way, right? Yeah. But I don't know. It just at, at the same time, it it seems Lovecraft needs to be read, maybe in a more British way. Uh, I, I didn't share with you guys. I also have the Wayne June version, um, and I don't remember how he said it. <laughs> uh, I also didn't rewatch the Beyond Reanimator movie, um, so I I, I, I tried and I stopped. Yeah, I don't think it was worthwhile. No. Was that the one in prison? Uh, I just got Mr. Jim Moon there, I think. Uh, that that's the the one, yeah, set in prison, yeah, I think. Yeah, the third sequel sequel to the '80s one. Yeah, with uh, the same actors. Oh, okay. Yeah, but I don't remember it being good. (laughs) Mr. Jim Moon, did you rewatch Beyond Reanimator? We we only have him in theory, not in practice. <laughs> um, no, we can't hear you. <sighs> oh, is he typing? Yeah. Yes, okay. he was. Not yet. Uh, all right, and I'm going to send a group link here. Oops, that didn't work. Uh, linky, linky. Uh, this is the. Don't give me a binky. <laughs> this is the. Uh, serial in Weird Tales. I do not have the original. It's not even an interior page. The original homebrew? No, sadly. It's the only extant issue on the internet uh, sold for a lot of money because it probably was H.P. Lovecraft's uh, Copy. Yeah, and we only have the front and back cover for that, and it doesn't even have his name on the front. Mm-hmm. Subsequent issues have like little, little hints that that's what's inside, but. Mr. Jim Moon is typing. That's what it says. Jim Moon is typing. It's and there's a ser- uh, there's a picture for each part of the serial here. Quite nice. 
I'm going to check. I'm just going to sign out and sign in again. Yes. All right. And then I'm going to just see if I got any range in action here. <laughs> uh. Clearly clock. Don't stop back. <laughs> um. So when are you going to go into the mountains, Marissa, now that it's open again? Yeah, pretty soon. Probably when this rain has... Uh, Abated? Yeah, finished up what it's doing, but probably pretty fast after that, because then all the waterfalls will still be running. <laughs> yes. You hit him yeah. in the waterfalls, in his water fields. <laughs> you hit the waterfalls. You hit me right where I, where I live. In his water fields. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mr. No, not Mr. Jim. Mr. Mirko Stouk. Or Stouch. I can't remember how to pronounce his last name. Hello. Oh, nothing yet. Uh, Hello. Can oh, you there he now? is. There he is. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Yes, yeah. he can. Uh, <clears throat> Thankfully. <laughs> uh, and recorder's working. Good, good. I was just uh, going to say, um, Mirko, uh, when I saw my tweets about, um, about I guess Herbert West reanimator last night all the pictures and stuff. He um he showed uh, his DVD of the German edition of Reanimator, mm-hmm. uh, the original <laughs> film, and on the back it has a podcast uh, that he did. Um, they contacted him, said, "Could we use this on the podcast?" And then he never heard from them again until he found it in a store. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. They didn't even send him like a review copy or, you know, like uh, <laughs> anything. And was it like a quote that he said? No, it's a whole podcast about H.P. Lovecraft at 120. <laughs> oh, they just added it to the DVD. Yeah, it's on the back of the DVD. Oh. It, 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 does he get credit anywhere else inside of it? I. It just says 120 Yar Lovecraft. Um, and it's from his. Uh, he has two podcasts. One is. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this. There's a, a SFF Audio German clone. <laughs> so it's what? SFF Audio, but in Germany. Um, it's called, no, I didn't know this. <laughs> it's called uh, Sigma 2 Foxtrot. Um, so it's got the Oh, I think F's. you've mentioned this before. Yeah, yeah it's just, it's just uh, the same idea. And then he also does an Arkham Insiders, which is almost exclusively Lovecraft uh, story-based, right? And I, I assume that's where it's coming from. Um, so they huh. they asked him if they could include it, and then they never met, you know, recontacted him after he said, yeah, sure. But they also have uh, you know, a lot of other extra... St- Germany's crazy for uh, audio drama and um, Lovecraft, so they have... Oh, and did you see this, Evan, last night? Uh, there's a, um, a time out of joint German audio drama? Ooh. No, I didn't see that. <laughs> Was that. Did you put that on Twitter? Yeah, I think I retweeted it. Yeah. Um, uh, it might even be on YouTube, actually. Who did that? Uh, they're just really hot for German, uh, like professionals, you know, like. Oh, uh, it's a love. German production. Yeah, German language. Philip K. Dick, there's like three of them. Oh, my uh, God. I have to listen to that. That sounds really funny. <laughs> I love your German's good enough. It should be fine. It's it's good enough to like follow and just miss pieces, but if I know the story, it's yeah, not so yeah. bad. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they they have Blade Runner and I think one other one too. Um, that is so funny. It's not. Yeah. They're all, 
it'll be also interesting to hear how they perform it. Um, they're not the greatest actors. <laughs> <laughs> but, he comes from the German acting school. <laughs> yeah. Be <laughs> will invade. I don't know. That's not <laughs> probably very charitable, but yeah. I Death don't. is just the beginning. Oh, Jesse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesse, that's crossing the streams. <laughs> basically, basically, uh, all I know about uh, uh, Germany, I learned from uh, Monty Python, <laughs> <laughs> which is not a good thing. The, the thing <laughs> I always found really hard with the German stuff is like, you know how they dub over every single movie yeah, into their own language? Crazy. But quite often like American movies have like laughter and stuff in it. And I uh-huh. guess Germans aren't that good at doing laughter. So always like when they dub over the laughter, it's just always so awkward. Like the, the screen, like someone is like laughing genuinely. And then the German overdone, it's like, like so weird. That's pretty funny. Well, at least, at least with the German stuff, I don't get the feeling that I'm talking to alien children. Whenever I, I go to Japanese stuff, unless it's Akira Kurosawa, I was like, is this seriously the plot you're going with? Is this seriously the story logic <laughs> that you're following? Because I, I've, I find it a, a bafflingly, like, I don't know, unfollowable. I don't know. Huh. Whatever. <laughs> We got to get all my racism out of the way before we. Yeah, we are <laughs> reading Lovecraft, so <laughs> you're on you're on tone. So I don't think uh, I don't think Wayne's going to join us. Um, last time he missed, um, uh, he was suffering from his black dog syndrome. Um, so uh, wait, gotta, what's black dog syndrome? Uh, that's I don't know a polite way of saying a depression. Okay. I don't I don't know if that's a polite way. I just. Uh, you know, that's that's the that's the blunt and straightforward way, but yeah. Yeah, I I I only figured out what a black dog was because Mr. Jim Moon does a podcast about it, and I had to ask about it at some point. He's like, why is it called that? Um, oh, why is Winston it Churchill coined it. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. called his depression the black dog. Yeah, yep. ah, interesting. Jim beat me to it. Yep. Pretty productive guy for. Uh, 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 if he has any kind of depression, maybe that's only when he's out of office. Whenever he's out of office, he's he's feeling down, and whenever he's in office, he's manic and all over the place and flying here and everywhere and invading various peninsulas. Um, so uh, I think we're ready to start then, right? Yeah, sure. I okay. think so. Okay. Um. Oh. Uh, what happened? Paul started recording. Oh, I started recording. Oh, weird. That's it so told weird. us. Yeah, it told, there's also like a button. There's like a big button on my screen, which I've never seen before. That's so weird. Huh. Uh, yeah, yes, yes, Skype has native recording. I figured with your recording issues, you'd want a backup. Yeah, absolutely. Time. But it's going to come down as a video, so um, make sure. No, 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 no. Okay, okay. You, you can export it as an audio. We, we we do it in Skippy Fanny as a backup. What? It works. What? It's, it's it's crazy, but it works. Okay, I had a massive argument with the people on Twitter. Uh, oh, sorry, the people on Skype who are servicing Twitter, saying that no, it's not possible. So <laughs> I didn't. I don't know what's going on. All right. Did they change it? Yeah, but that if if Paul's been doing it for weeks, this is like oh. two weeks ago that I had this. 
Oh. That's a yeah, blowout yeah, yeah. or whatever. It, it's standard process at Skiffy and Fanny now. Jesus we, 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 yeah, we, yeah, we back We back up through Skype. As, as well as other, other recording meetings. Wow. That's good to know. All right. Um, I'm going to get my ISFDB out. And then I think we can start. How's everything uh, over with you, Mr. Jamoon? Uh, cold at the minute. <laughs> cold, yeah, cold did you get snow? snow? You got some snow? Yeah, we have a little bit of snow. Not much, but it's stuck around for a few days. Just temperatures are kind of freezing. So. Yeah, but it's not cold enough that you had to set fire to the railroad tracks. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> it did that in Chicago. And, and, the, <laughs> and the light rail here stopped working for a while because it was too cold. So, yeah. And we do have some power cuts the other night of, uh, when the temperature suddenly dropped and the power went off and uh, uh, fried my internet for like. 10 hours. Oh, God. Crazy. Not the internet. No. <laughs> I mean, if you're asleep, that's okay, I suppose. Yeah, it came back. It went off at 9 o'clock at night and came back on 10 o'clock next morning. It wasn't too bad. But I was kind of thinking, hmm, might be doing any work today might be a bit tricky without the internet. We only need to do relied on having the internet. So, so before she came back on, the, the, the service provider said, well, we, we know there's a problem. We're hoping to get it fixed by four this afternoon, but they actually got fixed by 10 in the morning, which uh, is normally it's the opposite way around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, oh, so it worked out all right. <laughs> I wanted to um, uh, also uh, let everybody know, I looked at uh, your um, Patreon. looks like you got some more subscribers. Am I wrong? Um. Not that it's told me currently. I actually lost a few. Oh, <laughs> really? One. Okay, I thought it was. I yeah, thought it yeah. had gone up, but uh, um, I, they're doing something about changing the way that they're processing charges because the figure on the website is the take-home figure after costs, um, and they've recently done something to uh, to change that. Huh. Um, but I'm going to see how how much more it comes in at the end of. <laughs> And then they pay me in a couple of days' time. <laughs> so. Yeah, uh, I was just uh, I was I was looking at the way he says, um, uh, if he gets if Mr. Jim Moon gets up to eight hundred dollars a month, quote I don't need to worry about anything. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> That'll do me fine. <laughs> it's like wow. I wonder if I, I wonder if that if there's a figure that could do that for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's like who's gonna who's gonna like uh, clean my bathroom floor because it needs to be clean. Mind you, when I wrote when I wrote that that was in times when there was a better uh, exchange to oh, the US dollar yeah, to the pound. <laughs> oh yeah, that's probably not as accurate anymore. <laughs> assuming now. assuming everything is, remains equal, I won't have to worry about <laughs> anything. <laughs> okay, uh, let us let us begin. Um, I think. Jesse, Paul, uh, Jim, Marissa, Evan. Sound about right? Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. Okay. Wow. I'm amazed I can do that. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> 